Like I remember once when I moved into the city and I was like, oh, it's very noisy. I can like hear the train at night. And someone was like, oh yeah, you get used to it. So you don't even notice it anymore. And I was like, well, that's terrifying. <laughs> like that's something that I find very annoying. Soon I'll just not even notice because I'll probably still be quite annoyed by it. I think it's adaptive to a degree to be able to get used to things. Yeah. But obviously it also can be very bad. Yeah, I mean, I guess a lot of things that we have that cause us, like, terrible suffering are the consequences of things that are adaptive. Yeah, it's one of those classic sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad situations. Well, it's even more like obviously (laughs) fight or flight is very useful, very adaptive, Mm -hmm. but completely useless for me (laughs) living in the year 2020 in basically the lap of luxury. Yeah. (laughs) Who, like, every time a car backfires, you know, like, starts digging a bunker in the backyard and, like, calling an ambulance, just useless, (laughs) completely useless adaptation. Indeed. Because I was reading a lot of those, like, not um, anti-natalism things, a lot of them were like, humans are way more intelligent than they need to be for their lives. It's actually cruel to keep. Like, imagine if I created a robot and I gave it um, sentience and I made it so it could feel pain and then I told it it was going to die in 80 years. Everyone would think that was incredibly cruel. Yeah. (laughs) And that's basically what it is to be a human. I kind of agree with that, honestly. Yeah. It's like if you ever think about Frosty the Snowman. (laughs) That is such a fucked up story. The thing he says to the children, now let's have some fun before I melt away. He knows he's going to die. It's just so horrible. It really bums me out. I don't think I've ever heard that song. Maybe I've only heard parts of it. It's like one of those Grimm's fairy tale things where when you actually look at it, Mm. you know, it it turns out it's horrific. Like the story of Rudolph. What a horrific story (laughs) about how any deviation from the norm will be punished. (laughs) <laughs> with ridicule unless it's exploitable by the masters <laughs> so fucked up oh, have you started your um horoscope twitter yet no i just have been hating twitter so much Sam. <laughs> Because at the moment, it's got this real thing that's going on where a lot of people tweet things like, like it happens so often and it, that it's insane where someone with a relatively large following will tweet something like, oh, dating for heterosexual people is so bad. You constantly have to hear a 101 intro to film studies where a man will tell you about what's good about Fight Club or what's good about, I don't know, Goodfellas or something. Mm -hmm. Or it'll be like, here's the bookshelf of every straight man I've ever dated. Hemingway, Bukowski, Anne Rand, Infinite (laughs) Jest, 
whatever. Do you know what I mean? It's just like these really dumb... And it's like, those are incredibly popular mm. things. It'd be like being like, oh, here's a CD collection of any human being ever. Britney <laughs> Spears, one greatest hits compilation, The Beatles. It's like, that's not fucking illustrative of anything. Just that, like, some things are popular. I guess. I do think that um, people, specifically men who are really into Bukowski, says something about their personality, for sure, in my experience. Sh- sh- sure, maybe about their personality, but I feel like what these people are saying is that though that politically this says something about you, mm. that, like, it's less important what you are like and it's more important what you like. Yeah. That's mm. how you define yourself. And it's, like, so dumbly capitalist. Yeah that you would think that liking something, especially something popular, mm. says something about you politically. Like, that's just maddening. It's so dumb. This guy... I like Bukowski. This guy matched Whatever. with me. I don't like Bukowski. But anyway, this guy matched with me on a dating app. And um, one of the things that he said in his profile was, like, there will be no reality TV, no exceptions. And I was like, I really like reality TV. And he was like, What? How could you? Blah, blah, blah. I was like, you fucking snob. Everybody likes reality TV. You're just not admitting it. Reality TV is great. Yeah, I can't watch I can't watch reality TV because it affects me too much. <laughs> not because I find it stupid. <laughs> but don't you remember there was like one night when I watched an episode, there was like a m- marathon on of um, Married at oh First Sight. Oh, my God, sight. I remember this. And I watched one episode at 9pm and then there was a whole night marathon. I had to go to work the next day and I was like, I'm so sorry that I'm a bit useless, everybody. I stayed up all night watching Married at First Sight. I became addicted. I couldn't look away. I had to know what happened to these people. It's just so stupid. That show really messed me up as well because... Obviously, a lot of those relationships didn't work, and I really took it to heart. <laughs> Look, I get it. Bukowski's really dumb. But do you know what is really what? easy? Hating yeah. shit. It's super easy. Ready? I'll just do it. Bukowski, he is a drunk, misogynist <laughs> dickhead. But you know what's really hard? is actually like... Scat, like looking at this trash heap of a world and finding some like tiny skerrick of joy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just choose to find my skerricks of joy in uh, reality television rather than in Bukowski. I don't know. I think I'm like. Yeah, but I don't know. Neither of them are like. Then just not really judgment. I don't know. There's nothing political or moral right. or. Even aesthetic necessarily, that's, like, meaningful, that can be extrapolated yeah. from that. I think my Bukowski thing is just um, the most douchey people I've ever dated were really into Bukowski, so it's, like, triggering. <laughs> hey, my mum my, my listened to our most recent episode that we put out and she said that the thing that I said about her being having like a sense that she was that her birthday was wrong is a real thing that oh, happened, yes. but it happened on her twenty first birthday, not her sixteenth birthday. Oh wow, even more significant because it's like um 
Saturn returns. <laughs> I don't know, whatever. I'm just getting ready for my <laughs> for my future as a um, horoscope oh, okay. reader, writer. <laughs> Just writer, not reader. It's nonsense. <laughs> hey, there's this thing on Twitter at the moment, which is like, would you, there's like a picture of an mm-hmm. island that sort of looks like a castle. Like maybe it's a sort of a ruin, but not really. And it says, this island, no electricity or internet, 100 miles off any coast, surrounded by ocean. Would you stay here for 30 days? If at the end of the 30 days you got $40,000 US um, and it would be live streamed 24 7, would you do it? Yeah, all the replies are like, who would not do this? (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand. But me, I wouldn't do it. I mean, it. I would probably do it, but I just don't feel like $40,000 US. I feel like that's the really weird number. It's very specific. It's yeah. like they're trying to get someone Correct. to be. Is it based, Is it because there's a TV show where that happens or something? I'm not sure. I think that the thing is just like, would you do it if you couldn't have internet or electricity <laughs> for this much money? I'm not completely sure. Like, I wouldn't do it, though. Partly because, like, it just sounds very, like, quite boring. I don't know that it would be that good for my mental health to be totally cut off from everybody. Well, I just don't know if $40,000 is, I mean, I know it's US. I don't even know if $80,000 is really enough money. You just don't think it's enough money. How much fucking money do you make in 30 days, you slacker? (laughs) None. So (laughs) what do you mean? (laughs) You don't think $40,000 is enough money to tempt you to a tropical island for 30 days? It's more the electricity thing that I think, you know, like I'd have to probably be quite uncomfortable, I think. I really value comfort. There's a lot of unknowns. I want to know what the food situation is, what the shelter situation is. Oh, yeah, there's, so there's shelter, there's f- enough food for 30 days and enough water for Is 30 days. Is it nice food? Am I by myself? You're by yourself. Yeah, I think that's part of the thing. Do I have books? Yeah, you can have, have books. You're allowed to pick a few of the books yourself. Crochet? Can I bring crochet? I guess so, yeah. You could probably do any crafts. You couldn't sew with a sewing machine, though, because that requires... I still think it should be more than $40,000. It's the, I am so surprised that the deciding factor for you is like how much money you will get because it also won't cost you anything. You know what I mean? It seems so weird that you, the sticking point for you is how much money. I don't know. It just doesn't seem like enough money. It seems like, look, it seems like it would be a bad experience is what I'm trying to say. And I would rather not do it. But if there was enough money, then I would do it. You know? The main thing that I don't like is being is being streamed 24-7. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that part. At the end of the 30 days, you could come away still a complete unknown or you could come away, like, extremely famous or a villain and you have no way of knowing. I just think my anxiety would be through the (laughs) roof when I was coming back to civilization. Like, what do people know about me now? What do they think Mm. of me? My whole life, does it turn turn out I thought I was living a norm, like a normal person and everyone's like, what? Why does she do that? What a f- creep. Mm. Always touching her face. Ugh, she's revolting. Oh, no, I couldn't. I'd hate it.
about the other person, but saying it all the time. <laughs> I don't know if that's true of everyone. That might just be... <laughs> there are so many threads on the internet of people being like, oh, that's so funny. My husband and I do that as well. He's an ornithologist and I introduce him at parties as an entomologist. <laughs> Lol. It's like, that is not funny. It's only funny if you do it after like for 15 years yeah. it becomes funny again. one time I went to go see Kristen Shaw do comedy do a stand-up show with this other guy and for at the start of the show for like five straight minutes which is an incredibly long time he just said Kristen Shaw is a horse Kristen Shaw is a horse and like sang this song about her being a horse and she galloped around the stage for so long it just never ended at one point you're like, oh, my God, this is awful. When will it stop? And then eventually you're like, no, this is hilarious. But it's a slog. Yeah, it's weird. I always think it's not going to come <laughs> yeah. back. I think it's not funny and it's annoying and I want it mm-hmm. to stop and it's not going to start being funny again for me. <laughs> but then eventually it does. But I am convinced that it isn't going to become funny again. Also, you can become quite complacent about that exact joke. Like if anyone was ever going to do it again, they'd have to do it for like twice as long. <laughs> like the point of it is that it goes for longer than you want or expect Insurance it to. Insurance comedy. Not a fan. Yeah, I used to know quite a few people who were a member of a collective that described themselves as endurance artists. Ooh. What they would try to do is like just really big projects with really small teams, um, <laughs> like in really quick amount of times. But I was like, I don't know if that is endurance art. That seems more like self exploitation <laughs> or something, or just the natural state of things in the arts in Australia. Yeah, just like economic rationalism writ large <laughs> or something. Yeah. yeah, I went to the gallery with Cat the other last week and um oh my god I'm so desperate to go to the art gallery oh my god and there was a it was the Australian Biennale it was called Monster Theatres or Monster Theatre and um one of the artists was Mike Parr and they just he just had like uh it was kind of like a mini retrospective I guess had um videos of his from the beginning to the end of his career or currently his career and um I was telling Kat about when I saw his actual, I think he just does retrospectives now, honestly. I saw his work at the the Biennale in Sydney like 10 years ago. Yeah. And um, it was in the abandoned like barracks, like not the, it was like a a naval academy or something. And so there. Yeah, is it kind of like an island? Yeah, on Cockatoo Island. There's like, there was, there's an old like, it used to be a prison and then it was a shipyard and then it was briefly a naval academy like in the 60s or 70s or something and yeah like did it also didn't it have like housing and it used to be used for quarantine uh possibly yeah maybe um but I'm not sure about that but um this building is like just a series of classrooms and locker rooms and like weird rooms that have like little windows into another room like it two-way mirror sort of it was bizarre and it was falling down and like leaking in the from the roof and dead birds and just like you go through this kind of maze of a building and there's just like Mike Parr videos playing 
And his whole thing is um, human endurance, like testing the limits of the human body. And the videos are fucked up and intense. Like there's one where he's just like jamming toothpicks into his gums and there's one where he's like putting thumbtacks into his leg and anyway, just all this stuff. And I was so hungover that day. Oh, my God, never been more hungover in my entire life. Just, like, trudging through this, like, gallery of horror. Oh. It was so fucked. Um, yeah, that's the real endurance, yeah, exactly. my car. <laughs> <laughs> but then later we went to the MCA and one of the um, – one of the rooms was an installation where there was just like lava lamps and um, Jimi Hendrix was playing and there were hammocks everywhere. So I just laid in a hammock. <laughs> that's my, yeah, that's, that's really my feed. That's my kind um, of Yeah. I remember once being at the MCA to see the Dashand UN with my mum for like a brief amount of time. I just took my mum <laughs> to see like recreations of famous artworks that involved dogs. Like we went to see Marina M. <laughs> Brahma Pug, the dog is present. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a dog dressed up as Marina M. Bramovich and you could sit across from it for a minute while you got filmed. That's awesome. Yeah. And my mum, oh the whole time, like after we went and saw it, we drove from Sydney to Melbourne and every now and again, my mum would say, look, is the point of it supposed to be? And then she would like posit some theory and I would be like, no, mum, there's no point. It's just, it just is the thing that it is. It's not another thing. It's not a symbol of a thing. It's not a metaphor of a thing. It just is that thing. And then she'd be like, oh, okay, I understand. And then like a bit later, she'd be like, what's the point supposed to be? <laughs> It's like for the Dash and UN. She she said to me, like, what do you think it's about? And I said, I think it's a, both about the pointlessness of geopolitics and the complexity of the world and also about how Dashans are quite cute. And my mum was like, I don't know. <laughs> Have you seen the, what's her name, Marina Abramovich um, documentary? Yeah. About the artist present? Yeah. It's pretty funny. I liked that documentary a lot and I thought um like her early work um some of it was really amazing especially the one where she like walks along walked along the Great Wall of China Mm -hmm. with that dude um so like her partner at the time for the podcast audience who may not be aware her and her partner at the time um made performance art together and then I guess he was cheating on her and they knew they were going to break up. Do they know they were going to break up before they started the walking? Yeah. And yep. so they started each at a separate end. It was the last project that they were going to yeah, do together. and they each started. And all of their work was kind of about similar to Mike Parr, I guess, about human endurance and, like, Yeah, but it was also stuff. about um, – so Marina Ambramovich's work had been about um, like the physical endurance or, like, about interactions with the other – Mm-hmm. You know, like people were invited to harm her body. It was like about interactions yeah. with strangers. And then once she started this relationship, she, her works became about intimacy between yourself and the other who wasn't a stranger, the other of 
like the intimate other. And one of my mm. favorite things that they would do is stick um, cigarette butts up their nose and then kiss and then breathe in and out of each other's mouths, only the carbon yeah. dioxide coming out of the other person's mouth until one of them passed Holy out. Holy shit. Yeah. I didn't, I don't remember that one, but um, yeah, the one where their last project they ever did together was they started at opposite ends of the great wall of China and walked towards each other. And when they met, they like hugged and then never spoke to each other after that until I think the documentary. Yeah. Until the artist yeah. is present. Yeah. But um, what I, I was kind of bummed out by that film because of the part where she's talking to that stage magician about how she can like pretend kill herself for a new artwork and she's getting really into it and she's like yeah this is a great idea blah 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 and then her assistant is like this goes against everything that your work is about and she's like oh yeah you're right I'm like have you just been fluking it the whole time what the fuck <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like a real I can't believe they put that moment in the documentary. It was wild to me. Oh, I kind of like that. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of like a shattering of uh But you don't think you can get like wrapped up in an idea of how like instead of asking why build, yeah. you can get caught up in asking yourself like which tools For sure. and only then later see. Yeah. And Marina Ambravovich maybe more than anyone. How so? I don't know, like just that she could ask how rather than why. Mm. Because in a lot of ways the work is how and then the audience does the whying. Right. But the actual work is just like the thing that it is. It's not like the reason for the work. True, 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 true. true. Uh, Yeah. Which is why when my mum is like, what is the pug dog? It's like, no, well, <laughs> that's the whole thing, isn't it? Whatever it's like you the, want it to be. <laughs> this is just surface. Yes. And then you kind of, yeah. Mm. Like my mum's not wrong. No. She's supposed to have this question, but there is no, there is nothing else outside of it. The object doesn't have another thing to it. It's not a riddle. Yeah. <laughs> I remember once doing an art, like teaching a class about um, like set dressing or something and asking, like putting up some paintings, like very famous paintings and asking the class of like first years what they thought they looked like and no one really saying anything and then someone being like, "Um, it kind of looks like a road grill and me being like, yes, 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 it does look like a road grill. What about this one? And then someone being like, like, no, nothing, no one talking for ages. And then someone being like, uh, kind of looks like a wall that someone's pissed on. I was like, yes, yes, that's exactly what it looks like. That's perfect. It does look like a wall someone's <laughs> pissed on. Just being like, there is, you can just say the thing you think it looks like. I'm not trying to trick you <laughs> by showing you this Jean Michel painting and expecting you to like read a million things into it. Partly it just looks like a wall someone's pissed on. That's a fine interpretation of this painting. Yeah. I don't know. I think we've done a real number on students, though, because they constantly think you're trying to trick them. Mm. What have we done in their education to make them so distrustful of their teachers and of themselves, like that they think that they must be wrong? It really bums me out. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really... 
I don't I don't feel like I've really learned much at school that has been relevant to my life. I feel like everything valuable that I've learned is by accident after school. Yeah, I feel like all the important things I've learned have only come by with a significant amount of personal suffering. <laughs> that seems like a bummer. There must have been an easier yeah. way. There's, yeah. A significant amount of personal suffering, but also there's stuff that I wish I'd learned at school that, I don't know, it would just be like really basic stuff like how to fix my car or like how to deal with the bank or whatever. Like, Yeah, how your taxes work. I don't know. I have the opposite thing which is like your whole entire life is like mundane drudgery where what you have to do is like fix a fucking carburetor and go to the tax office Mm. and that for just a brief period in your life you could learn things for just the sake of learning Mm. them. Like you could learn about the periodic table, you could mix some chemicals together and see what happened, you could learn about just acceleration or something, just because you were learning about things. You could do trigonometry. Mm. When am I ever going to use that except when I'm trying to play pool in a pub or bowling? (laughs) Otherwise, I'm never going to use that. But it's like I kind of like – I am on the – I like often get into conversations about this where I am against utilitarianism and I'm in favour of like learning being fun and there's not that much fun to be had in tax. Yeah. I just, but yeah, I think. But then for a lot of people, there's no fun to be had in trigonometry. I get that I am, <laughs> like, I am a freak who just likes trig and that that's not everybody. Yeah, I don't know. I just, oh, man, did so many, like, I just remember, like, geography at school and history at school and, can you just hang yeah. on a second? Lucas has just come into the room. Yeah, go on. Tell me about high school. Um, I just spent seven years there doing – I'm not really sure what, you know what I mean? Like I just feel like I could have spent that time like learning how to be a better human or like learning how to get along with people or learning how to like, I don't know. Oh, I definitely so. think there should be more like teaching people about just the absolute – like it – you can say on the one hand, like, your whole life is going to be drudgery, but also maybe it would be nice to be better at some of that drudgery or, like, appreciate some of that drudgery. have been taught some things about, yeah. especially about just, like, your feelings. Right. Like what, or, yeah. like, what your feelings are, how they work, how long they last for, what a normal range of feelings are, what... Mm like why you might be in pain, how to deal with pain, what some kind of pains are, what are some ways to deal with pain. How come we never yeah. learn any strategies for dealing with pain? Just stuff like that about like how what it's like to be a human and how to deal with being a human and less stuff about like Minoan civilization or whatever or whatever, I don't know. Yeah, there's so a lot of hours like in the day so many- though. I don't know. I feel like you could do both. You can probably do both, I guess. I mean, considering how much stuff we learnt over and over again, think about how much time was just wasted. 
Think about how many mm. times they were like, this is the letter A. Now we're going to write it for a whole day. It's like, I've got A. Can we move on to the next one? Fuck me. <laughs> Let's pick up the pace. <laughs> oh, man, I found primary school so annoying. I, mm. Apparently my mum asked me how my first week of school was and I said, I haven't even learned how to read yet. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a brat. <laughs> I know. What a precocious pain in the ass. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I don't know. School. Who knows? Not me. My mum listened to our podcast. She listened to our yeah? podcast about antinatalism, the most recent one, and she said... Um, <laughs> that she found our podcast to be so joyous. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, but why do you think she said joyous? I feel like we're quite cynical jerks. Um, maybe the part where we really like each other. Oh, yeah, yeah our friendship. friendship. Yeah, I guess that is nice, yeah. isn't it? I am often always just so happy to talk yeah, to you. Yeah, me too. Yeah, so I guess that's the I joyous part. I was thinking part. about the but- pod. Um, when you told me that your mum had feedback and that she said it was joyous the other day, I was thinking about the pod and I I often have this thought about the pod that I'm like, there's a million, billion, billion podcasts that exist. What is the point of doing another podcast? There's definitely no point. This is a stupid thing to spend my time doing. And then I think that everything that you make, every kind of creative expression that you have, of course there's a million people doing exactly the same thing. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. It's still good and valuable, you know, because it's good for you and whoever sees it, even if it's only like two people, it's still a good thing. Like it's still a positive um, experience, you know? Yeah, definitely. I also think it's like it's sort of a bad, it's like not a great time right now and it's maybe going to get worse. Maybe it's okay to have some things that are just like, you know, like sugary drinks. It's okay to have some things that are just like sort of comforting and nice and not like too taxing. I think the thing that trips me out about podcasts specifically as a creative um, like product is that there's a lot of people like knitting scarves in the world, but it's like more rare for someone to be like, well, I shouldn't knit a scarf because everyone's, there's billions of people knitting scarves. What am I bringing to the scarf table? You know what I mean? Because scarves are like discreet in space and time. But podcasts just go into this huge bucket with every other podcast that has ever existed, you know, and the bucket just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And so it feels like you're just like, I don't know, it feels weird and different. I made this scarf that was like my favourite scarf in the whole universe and I lost it at the Black Lives Matter Mm. protest and I fucking knitted the lace on it by Mm. hand. And Lucas said, oh, well, maybe someone who is really cold will find (laughs) it as like a way to try and make me feel better. (laughs) So that's the other thing about scarves. It's like even if they're not the best one, they can still like serve some kind of function. Yeah. But also a friend of mine makes these, has these little displays around his house of what he calls accidental sculptures, mm-hmm. which are like 
he has this nervous tick where he whenever there's something in his pocket he has his hand in his pocket and he kind of like rips it up a little bit and like folds it and bends Mm -hmm. it and stuff and he used to do that with his met cards Mm -hmm. and so he would just have he would just like over the course of a few months make like just like hundred little accidental pocket (laughs) sculptures and then like display them around his house (laughs) as like little works of art they like don't keep anybody warm they don't really do anything they you know they're not even deliberate but they're still like just a little record Mm -hmm. of something i think that's like sort of nice i think that's valid yeah this is joyous (laughs) do you know what's really easy hating (laughs) things this is the podcast of finding things that are good <laughs> to like about yeah. the world. For sure. Not just being knee-jerk negative. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't watch Goodfellas again, but if you like it, good for you. <laughs> All right, well, let's chat again soon. Yeah, Friday? Friday? Yeah. All right, yeah. have a good week, Thank dude. You too. I love you very much. Go out there and live for me. Live for me. I will. I'll try and bring back some If you ever loved story. me at all, if you ever had any feeling for me, you turn around right now and walk out of this hospital. <laughs> you go find that beautiful brunette. You take her by the hand. You live for me. <laughs> live for me, Wyatt. <laughs> Is that from Brokeback Mountain? Yeah, What's but... happening? No, it's from Tombstone. Oh, I Close, know. though. Both had cowboys. <laughs> Frank settled down out in the valley and he hung his wild ears on a nail that he drove through his wife's forehead. He sold used office furniture out there on San Fernando Road and assumed a $30,000 loan at 15 and a quarter percent put a down payment on a little two-bedroom place. His wife was a spent piece of used jet trash, made good Bloody Marys, kept her mouth shut most of the time, had a little chihuahua named Carlos that had some kind of skin disease and was totally blind. They had a thoroughly modern kitchen, self-cleaning oven, the whole bit. Frank drove a little sedan. They were so happy. One night, Frank was on his way home from work. He stopped at the liquor store, picked up a couple of Mickey's Big Mouths, drank them in the car on way to the Shell station. He got a gallon of gas in a can. Drove home, doused everything in the house, torched it. Parked across the street laughing, watching it burn, all Halloween orange and chimney red. And Frank put on a top 40 station, got on the Hollywood freeway, headed north. Never could stand that dog.